0: you read with me, please? A selection from Mark 4. Reading together. When evening had come, he told them, let's cross over to the other side of the sea. So they left the crowd and took him along since he was in the boat and other boats were with him. A great windstorm arose and the waves were breaking over the boat so that the boat was already being swamped. And he was in the stern, sleeping on the cushion. So they woke him up and said to him, "'Teacher, don't you care that we're going to die?' He got up, rebuked the wind, and said to the sea, "'Silence, be still.' The wind ceased, and there was a great calm. And then he said to them, "'Why are you afraid? "'Do you still have no faith?' And they were terrified, and asked one another, Who then is this? Even the wind and the sea obey him.
1: We will be in Mark chapter 4, 35 through 41. Let's pray. Lord, now as we open your word, please open our hearts, open our understanding, open up our thoughts. And Lord, we ask that you would fill us with your word and with the application of your word. And may your spirit guide each one of us as we look at this passage, as we seek to understand it, but even more, Lord, seek to apply it. And we ask these in your name. Amen. Please be seated. I remember as a a number of years ago that I <clears throat> was reading and uh, some stuff about shepherds and especially shepherds of really large flocks. In some places they have so many it's uh, almost hard to count. Most of them uh, growing you know, raising the sheep for wool. But one of the big concern when you're raising sheep, especially if, if for the marketplace like that, is uh, that there would be a disease of some kind that would come in, or some kind of infestation that would impact the sheep herd. And so, <clears throat> go ahead and put that first one up there. Uh, shepherds all over the world have come up with what they call the sheep dip, which is not something that you put your potato chips in. <laughs> it's Thank you, she got it. <laughs> uh, it's actually a, a chemical solution. They put the sheep in, and then they show, uh, push their heads and everything under And Of course, at the end of they've been soaked and soaked and soaked, they come out. And this is a helpful thing because it kills all of those things that were on the sheep. And, and of course, if, if they're healthy, then you're going to get better wool. Um, I wonder, you know, as, the, as they're going through the trough, if those sheep really enjoy having their heads shoved underneath on, on all those chemicals. You know, just getting pushed under, and they try to get up, and they get pushed under again. And my guess is they don't enjoy this at all. And I don't know about you, but there have been times when I kind of felt like one of those sheep. like I was underneath and struggling and trying to get back, and just every time I thought I was going to be able to catch a breath, boom, I'm back under again. Mark has described a series of intense clashes, I mean real huge clashes, between Jesus and the religious leaders to the point where they accused him of you know, doing all of his amazing miracles through the power of Satan. And then you had that discussion about the unpardonable sin that they had committed by saying the work of God in Jesus was from Satan. And then he shared a series of parables and, and uh, talked to us and, and, and showed us the method of teaching that Jesus used in some cases to reveal truth and in other cases to kind of conceal it from people who um, just didn't really want to know who Jesus was and what he was doing. And what comes next in in his in his book and letter that he's writing is a series of incredible miracles on a different level than the healings that he's been doing and casting out demons. These these miracles are are just so far beyond the normal that he puts them in separate categories for us to watch and to look at. So that's where we start as we jump into verse 35. Um If you look in the context of this, Jesus has been teaching and doing all kinds of things along the shore, actually sitting in the boat and doing the teaching. And some feel that it's at at that time when now people are supposed to be going home that he says, let's just go to the other side. And the disciples who are with him apparently in the boat turn it around and get going. So that's, that's what's going on in verse 35. That day when evening came, he said to his disciples, let's go over to the other side. Leaving the crowd behind, they took him along just as he was in the boat, and there were other boats with him. Go ahead and put that first shot up there. There, Thank you. Now Josephus, a Jewish historian, tells us that <clears throat> there were at times 300 boats in this time period that would be working in and around the, the Sea of Galilee. Okay? Well, the Sea of Galilee is 13 miles long, 7 miles wide, 700 feet below sea level. And from there it goes down to the Dead Sea, the Jordan River, and that's even lower than that. Um, <clears throat> and so here you've got this, this sea, and, and that yellow air is probably where Jesus was headed. That's, that was the idea, was we're going to get in, probably from doing all the teaching along the shore there near Capernaum, and they're going to travel over to the other side, and, and we'll pick that up next week when we take on that part of, of the story. But here he is, he's in <clears throat> in this situation And um, Sea of Galilee is famous for storms. And there's all kinds of reasons because of the mountains and and the temperatures and all that kind of stuff. But to have a dangerous storm hit suddenly was not something that was unheard of. It did happen from time to time. Um, Just not too long ago, 1986, go ahead and put the next one up there if you would. There we go. Um, they found the Jesus boat. Now, this is not a boat that Jesus was in, but it was a boat from that time period that had been buried in the in the, dirt, in the soil and so forth underneath in the sea, and they never would have found it except there was a, such a huge drought that the water went down in the Sea of Galilee to the extent that they said, oh, what is that over there? And they found this particular boat. Uh, it's very typical, apparently, of the day and um, 27 feet long, 8 feet wide. Let's go ahead and put the next one up there. This is what it would look like at that time frame. Um, carry 15 people. Four of them would be people who manned the oars if they needed them. And someone who would be the helmsman. So this is the kind of boat that Jesus and the disciples went across the water. And this is not a tiny little you know dugout canoe or anything. This is good size. And these are men four of them especially, who had sailed these kinds of boats all over the Sea of Galilee and made their living doing that, okay? So as they take off, and they're going across the Sea of Galilee, in verse 37 it says, a furious squall came up, and the waves broke over the boat so that it was nearly swamped. Now, you're going to see some panic here from these disciples in just a second, but Never forget these guys are professional fishermen on this very sea, on this very sea of Galilee. And so if they're scared, there's a reason for it. And I think that's one of the things we need to kinda kinda think through. I've been in some situations where I've been in some big big waves, but never did I ever feel I was in danger of tipping over or anything. When these guys were saying, hey, we're in deep, deep trouble here. And the New Living puts it this way, but soon a fierce storm came up came up. High waves were breaking into the boat, and it began to fill with water. So again, remembering, you've got Peter, Andrew, James, John, who knew what they were doing on the water. I knew how to make these ships go where they were supposed to go, and this wasn't going anywhere they wanted to go except maybe down. And so that was a serious concern for them. Verse 38 To show you the kind of exhaustion Jesus was feeling, stop and think of what's going on in the boat. Okay, you got 12 other guys who are yelling and screaming and trying to bail water, and I don't know what else they're trying to do there. But they're in a little bit of a panic, and Jesus is in the back with the boat going up and down and every every which way, and the winds and the waves, and he's sleeping. I mean, absolutely out cold. That's what happens when you do the kind of ministry that he'd been doing for a period of time. You get really tired, and physically Jesus was tired, and he slept. But verse 38, I think, is probably, for me, the key verse in this whole section. Jesus was in the stern, sleeping on a cushion. The disciples woke him and said, Teacher, don't you care if we drowned? Key phrase, don't you care? What's wrong with you? What's wrong? I mean, really, we're about ready to die here, Jesus. What's going on? Don't you care? And, and let that phrase ring through. I mean, that is exactly what they were feeling at that moment in time. How can he sleep through this? We need his help. On one level, this was not so much a plea as it was a criticism. Hey, you told us to come out here. We're in trouble. You need to wake up. And so, you know, the whole idea... Don't you care? I don't know about you, but I've asked that question <laughs> at times. And they're saying, don't you care? We're, we're going down here. We're going to drown. And maybe some hysteria and loudness entered in at this point. Finally, Jesus wakes up, and he sees, and he hears, and he feels the wind and the waves. And he sees and understands the disciples' fear. Verse 39 He got up, rebuked the wind, and said to the waves, Quiet, be still. And then the wind died down and was completely calm. I've been on the shores of the ocean and and sometimes even Lake Michigan where there have been huge waves just crashing on the beach. And I love that. I love standing there and hearing them and watching them. And it's, I could do that for hours at a time. But for that to stop and to change from waves crashing to absolute calm, which happens once in a while in Lake Michigan, it wouldn't happen instantly. It'd be a period over a period of hours. There'd be some time for those way for the wind to stop and for the waves to start to calm down. But that's not what happened here. This is a monster storm where waves crashing into the boat, and Jesus rebukes the wind. Who would ever think to talk to the wind or to talk to the waves? Well, the creator of the wind and the waves would certainly think of doing that. And so here you go with uh, the whole idea of he rebukes the wind, and he says, be quiet, and, and all of a sudden, in one instant, it's smooth as glass, and there's not a breath of wind. That's what happened. Um, Verse 39 in the Phillips translation says, he woke up, rebuked the wind, and said to the waves, hush now, be still. And it was. What an incredible, incredible miracle, instantly to go from full storm to full calm. And, And that's Jesus just showing that he has the power and the authority to do that. That's Jesus, who's the creator of the whole universe and, and all the things that are around them, being able to speak into his own creation and say, stop, be still, be quiet. Then he turns to his disciples and he says, why are you so afraid? And a lot of people speculate on that. They're saying, well, you know, he was asking a question because, hey, he was in the boat and they should have known that he wasn't going to go under with the boat and that they wouldn't either because they were with him. And, I've, you know, I've heard all those arguments and, and uh, all those discussions. And I'm with the disciples. I think God, would have been really, really scared. Uh, and they were. I mean, they knew, they knew that this was a dangerous storm that they were in. He says, why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? Now they were terrified during the storm. Now it's dead calm. Look at what it says. They were terrified and asked each other, Who is this? Even the wind and the waves obey him. Think about that. They knew they couldn't talk to the wind and waves and have anything happen. But Jesus could. Jesus could and that, they'd seen him do miracles. They'd seen him heal people, and they'd seen him cast out demons, and seen him turn water into wine, and seen him do all kinds of incredible things. But to have power over nature, this kind of situation, they hadn't seen that before. And they, as people who had been on that sea for years, sat back and said, who is this? And they were scared. Jesus, the creator of the universe, uh, spoke it all into existence, let it be, and and it was, has the authority to continue to speak to his creation and call it to do what he wants it to do. And so now it's absolutely still. Now they are even more afraid than they were before. Who is this, they asked. And, and, And don't forget, I mean, they've seen him cast out... Hundreds and hundreds of demons. They'd seen him heal thousands of people. They'd seen him do incredible things. And yet, this one, they had no idea that he had the power and the authority to speak and have nature, creation respond. And that, it blew their minds you got a glimpse, if you will, of the wonder and the glory, the grandeur of God himself in all of his power and all of his splendor. Paul, I think, captures the wonder of all of that and who Jesus is in Colossians 1, kind of a fitting passage if you're thinking of it in light of what just happened here. Verse 15, Christ is the visible image of the invisible God. He existed before anything was created, and is supreme over all creation. Wind, stop. Waves, be still. Supreme over all creation. Verse 16, For through him God created everything in heaven, the realms on the earth. He made the things we can see and the things we can't see, such as thrones, kingdoms, rulers, and authorities in the unseen world. Everything was created through him and for him. No wonder he can say to the waves, stop, and to the wind, hush. It was all created through him and for him. 17, he goes on to say, he existed before anything else, and he holds all creation together. He has the power, he has the authority to do absolutely anything that he chooses to do because he has the limits of God himself, which are limits like he can't sin and a couple of things like that. But when it comes to dealing with nature, dealing with us, he can do it all. This is Jesus. That's who's in the boat, the Jesus that Paul described. That's who's sitting there, sound asleep and then awake, and speaks and everything happens exactly the way it's supposed to. I would we'll just take a few minutes to deal with some implications of of this story. There's a lot of things that, that plug into it. Uh, <clears throat> and for me this week, the the phrase "Don't you care?" really took on a special. A special meaning, in a sense, for me, to be able to think that through. And and what what happened when I was saying that kind of a thing, when I was hurting? And what was happening to that person that I was praying for when they said those words? Let's read, starting in verse 38 again. Master, don't you care that we're drowning? And he woke up, rebuked the wind, and said to the waves, Hush now, be still. The wind dropped and everything was very still. Why are you so frightened? What has happened to your faith? He asked them. But sheer awe swept over them and they kept saying to each other, whoever can this be? Even the wind and the waves do what he tells them to do. That's that's the miracle that happened. And that's, the thing that struck them, yeah, we're safe and all the rest, but look at how it happened. And the question, don't you care? It takes a little different meaning when you see it afterwards, doesn't it? Don't you care, Jesus? Well, yeah, I care. Let me show you. Now, maybe you've never asked that question. I know Karen and I have been in situations where we've asked it. Now, Please understand when I say, we're saying, God, don't you care? We understand that he does, but it just doesn't feel like it in the moment, in the struggle and the hard things <clears throat> that we happen to be facing. Does Jesus care? There's a, there's a song, actually, by that title, written many years ago. Uh, and this is the backstory, And that's why the song, I think, uh, was important and is important. During a time when the songwriter was going through severe testing, it was a crisis of faith, he asked the question we all ask and that the disciples asked, Lord, do you care? The question led Frank Groff to turn to the Bible and start to just look for hope and to look for help in the Scriptures. And he came to 1 Peter 5.7. Starting with verse 5, clothe yourselves with humility towards one another because God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. And God will exalt you in due time. And here's the phrase I want us to, to remember. There's some, there's some interesting things that, that are going on in the grammar here. And as far as I know, this is the best way to translate verses 6 and 7 together. It starts out with, if you humble yourselves under his mighty hand, by casting all your cares on him because he cares for you. So the the, the way it's structured, and not not all the translations capture it, but there is this, if if you humble yourselves under his hand, how do you humble yourselves? By casting all your care on him. In other words, we come to him and we come humbly to him and we know that he has the power and the ability to act in any setting and situation and we come with our worries and the cares and our question, don't you care? And we come to him and we cast those cares on him. Why? The answer is there. He cares for you. He cares for me. And it was after meditating on these verses that he wrote the the song, Does Jesus Care? I'm just going to read the verse and chorus first and then just uh, hit some of the highlights. Um, Does Jesus care when my heart is pained too deeply for mirth and song, when the burdens press and the cares distress and the way grows weary and long? And so he asks the question, with each verse, and then he answers the question in in each chorus. The answer is, oh yes, he cares. I know he cares. His heart is touched with my grief. When the days are weary and the long night dreary, I know my Savior cares. And so he speaks the answer by faith. I'm just going to read the verses now. Does Jesus care when my way is dark with a nameless dread and fear? Have you ever been that? situation where you're scared and you don't even know what it's all about, but you are just wondering what God's going to do, because if he doesn't do something, you're in trouble and you know it. And as the daylight fades into deep, dark shades, does he care enough to be near? Does he care? Yeah. Is he near? Yeah. But that's the question that you ask when you're in the dark. And you and you have... Nothing that you can see. He answers that, but then he goes on to the next verse. Does Jesus care when I'm tried and when I've tried and failed to resist some temptation strong? When for my deep grief there's no relief, though the tears flow all day long? I tried, <laughs> I tried and still failed. Next verse. Does Jesus care when I've said goodbye? To the dearest on earth to me, and my sad heart aches till it nearly breaks. Is it aught to him? Does he see? And then the answer yes, he cares. I know he cares. His heart is touched with my grief. When the days are weary and the long night dreary, I know my Savior cares. Carol and I have talked about that a lot when we've gone through times when we've asked the question, and it's it's been many times. Again, not, not necessarily that we don't have faith in God or don't trust Him. It just doesn't feel like He's involved in any way. We know He is intellectually. We get that, but it doesn't feel like it. And so many times we're in that, does He care, asking that question. And I think one of the things that we've learned is that It's okay to ask the question. (laughs) Like the song, we also need to remind ourselves of the truth, and the truth is, yes, he cares. That's what he says in Peter. Cast all your cares on him. Why? Because he cares. He cares for you. So I don't know if you're here this morning and you're wondering, does he care? I think Jesus would answer I think he would answer the disciples uh, Jesus, do you care if we drown? Yes, he cares. Yes, he cares. And, and, and in our situations, yes, he cares about that cancer or that ongoing medical struggle. He cares about that relationship that has caused so much pain. He cares deeply when we don't see any hope and wonder if we can keep on going. Yes, He cares, even when it feels dark and there's no light. And on one level, when we say, yes, I know He cares, we're taking the Scripture and saying, I don't feel it. I feel really like I'm totally in the dark, but I believe because God said it that He cares. And that's where, for me anyways, going back to that, that gives me the ability to say, okay, I can... I can move forward, I can keep going because he's made it clear that he does care. There's another implication or several here that I want to kind of mention. Verse 35, that day when the evening came, he said to his disciples, let's go over to the other side. Leaving the crowd behind, they took him along, he was in the boat and there was also boats with him. The fierce squall comes up. And Jesus was in the the stern of the boat, sleeping. Now, why were they on the lake? Why were they out there? Jesus said, let's go to the other side. They were out there in the middle of the storm because that's where Jesus wanted them to be. We need to remember that. They were not in this position because of sin. This isn't punishment or discipline from God. They're in this position because Jesus said, Let's go to the other side. And so they started out. They were not in this position because they had made foolish choices. Some of the messes I make in my own life are because of my foolish choices. But that isn't the case here. They are in the middle of the lake, in the middle of a horrible storm. <clears throat> because they were obeying what Jesus told them to do. And I think it's important for us to remember that. They were right in the middle, right in the center of God's will, but they were still getting wet. The storm was just falling all over the boat, but they were in the middle of God's will. So again, sometimes things are a mess and we get wet and we struggle, even if we're right in the center of where we're supposed to be. Came across this quote from Alistair Begg. The storm so filled their minds that it came between them and the assurance that Jesus cared for them. I get it. The waves are crashing over the boat, and I've got a little bucket I'm trying to bail out. I'd be scared. I'd be scared but in every storm and in every trial in our lives, there's, there's always that opportunity for us to wonder about the identity and the authority of Christ, to, to think about the power and the majesty of God. And that's what they got to see. The storm itself was an opportunity to remember what Jesus Christ and the fact that he's Lord of all, ruler, of all nature. God is a God who, for his own purposes, leads people into storms. He does. And sometimes it's to show his grandeur and his glory and his power. Sometimes it's to draw us closer in ways that we wouldn't have without the storm. He always reminds us Like Isaiah 41 says, Do not fear. I am with you. Do not be afraid. I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will hold on to you with my righteous right hand. So when the disciples asked Jesus, don't you care? He could have said, I'm here in the boat because I care. He could have said, Hey, I'm with all of you here in this time frame doing the things we're doing because I care. He could have said, Hey, I'm in the world because I care. The reason that you have my word is because I care. Or the reason I will go to the cross is because I care. Lord, don't you care? Yeah, he does. The cross and the empty tomb prove it. Some other observations. Tony Evans said this <clears throat> God does not do miracles just to show off, he does them so that his name will be known. Stop and think about Rahab <clears throat> when she was hiding the spies. What did she say to them? We've heard about what God, your God did to the Egyptians. We heard about that. And our hearts melted with fear. We heard about what you did to the Amorites and we are scared to death of what your God can do. And that was 40 years earlier. And they still were remembering and hearing something they didn't see or experience, but had heard about. God does miracles, so that His name will be known. Now, just I copied this from Tony Evans. I just thought it was really, really good. This is a crisis. It's a crisis of circumstances because they are out of control. They cannot control the boat. They can't control the winds. There is nothing they can do except hang on. Nothing. Emotions have gone crazy. They are terrified. They are expecting to die. They're really expecting to die. Spiritually, they're questioning, God, where are you? What's going on? Is Jesus really the Messiah? Is he the one that's done all these amazing things? What's going on, God? I came across this too. Don't let it be said that your crisis continued because you wouldn't wake Jesus up. If we're in trouble, we're hurting, we're struggling, wake Jesus up. Not that he's asleep, but go to him. What would happen if the disciples had just sat there and watched the boat go down? They didn't. They woke him up and said, hey, help. And the Lord answered. Now there's four statements here, just kind of, they overlap, but I want to share these. Uh, Never let circumstances overshadow what Jesus has promised. He said, I will never leave you. I'll never forsake you. Second thing, do not deny your circumstances. A storm is a storm. Okay? He wasn't advocating, hey, just ignore the storm and pretend you're not in the boat. No, they were in the boat. They were getting wet. The boat was in trouble. It's okay to acknowledge that. A storm is a storm. Don't deny what's happening. Just remember where you need to go. The, fourth, the third one. He does not want our circumstances to cancel out his word. His promises are true. His promises are accurate. And we can count on them. He says he's with us, he's with us. If he says he'll carry us through the storm, he'll carry us through the storm. So don't let circumstances cancel out the promises in his word. And he doesn't want our circumstances to cancel out his presence. He's in the boat. Never forget, he's in the boat. And no matter what the circumstances were, it didn't change that fact. Jesus was in the boat with them in the midst of this horrific, terrible storm. What do we take away from this? It's As I was studying this week, all kinds of songs came to mind that talked about storms. All kinds of them. There's all kinds of them that have at least a verse in there that talks about storms. And um, one of the things that strikes me is that storms are not pleasant, and they're not comfortable when we go through them. Uh, Sometimes we may feel like they're life-threatening in some way, but they always come with a purpose. Jesus put the disciples in the middle of of the sea for the storm to hit them so that he could say, watch this. So, this week as you go home, think about all the songs that talk about the storm or talk about, you know, the the Lord working through storms, those kinds of things. Two verses from a song we're going to sing in just a minute here. Be still, my soul. The Lord is on your side. Bear patiently the cross of grief and pain. Leave to your God to order and provide. In every change, he faithful Will remain. Be still, my soul, your best, your heavenly friend, through thorny ways leads to a joyful end. And then this is the verse that uh, comes out of the passage we studied. Be still, my soul, your God will undertake to guide the future as he has the past. Your hope, your confidence, let nothing shake. All now mysterious shall be right at last. Be still, my soul, the way... And winds still know his voice. not that awesome? The wind and waves, they still know the voice of the creator. They know the voice of the one who ruled them while he lived below, and he rules them now as well. So God still takes his children through storms, but he's always with us. He always cares, no matter how hard it seems or whether it seems he's not there, he does care, and we can remember he's always in the boat with us. We are safe with him.